Several years ago, a movie came out called Sandlot. Anybody watch it? I know most of you were too holy to watch movies, right? But this was a good movie. Anybody, raise your hand if you saw it. Okay, anybody not see it? Oh my goodness, it's a, it, it, it's, it's a, it's a classic movie. I, I, most of us have seen it. It's, I, and I looked it up, you know, I was shocked when I found this out. It was actually, it's been out 27 years now. So those of you that haven't seen it, you don't know what you've been missing for 27 years. 27 years ago, this movie came out. Um, and uh, the, the kids in the movie all grown now, some of them with kids of their own. And, but it's become somewhat of a classic, kind of a coming-of-age movie about a group of boys growing up in, in California in the summer of 1962. And they were normal kids, uh, you know, who spent their, their days playing baseball in the sandlot in their hometown. And, and what you may not know, though, those of you that have seen it, did you realize that it was inspired by a real story? Anybody know that? It was inspired by a real story. But in the real life story, there's been there's one ma there's several differences, but one major difference, and that is that the the director's brother, who they they I guess a co co-writer and director's brother actually got bit by Hercules. Um, but they left that out of uh, out of this. So if you watch the movie, you know who Hercules was, that uh, dog. Uh, you learn something new every day, don't you? Uh, but anyway, to the kids in the movie, baseball was a normal part of their everyday lives. Um, is what they did, is how they spent their summers on the neighborhood sandlot, just, just you know, playing baseball. And they, they, they were fans of the game. But there's one kid, one kid was different, Benny. To Benny, baseball wasn't just part of his life. Baseball was his life. I mean, it was his life. He lived breathed, ate, slept baseball. That's, that's, that was a focus of his whole life. And as the kids grew older, they all pursued different, you know, other interests, and they went their separate ways. But Benny, Benny took the game of baseball beyond the neighborhood sandlot. He was devoted to the game while the rest of the kids went on to other pursuits. Benny went on to play for the Los Angeles Dodgers as Benny the Jet Rodriguez. And uh, he was serious about it. He took the game beyond the sandlot to another level. Well, we're in week two of our series, The Road Less Traveled. And it's a series about moving beyond just being a normal or nominal, I should say, Christian to becoming a disciple of Jesus. From playing the game to living it. And just like you know, many, player, many play the game of baseball, few go on to actually live and breathe it. Many people became, become Christian, but fewer take the next step to becoming fully devoted disciples of Jesus. Robert Frost wrote these words. We looked at them last week. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Today we're going to continue to talk about that road less traveled, the road to discipleship. We're going to look at a story in Mark 8 where the disciples get their first clue about what kinds of things lay in store for them, lay in wait for them on the road ahead. I mean, up to this point, if you look at the Gospel of Mark up to this point, it's been a life of wonder. 
There's miraculous healings. There were, you know, uh, casting out of evil spirits. There's, you know, awesome and wonderful teachings. There's uh, uh, multiplication of the loaves and fishes. There was a dead girl that was raised back to life. You've got Jesus walking on water. Amazing things were happening, and it was really unreal. But it was about to get very real. We're going to start reading in Mark chapter 8, verse 31. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, then reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan. He said, how would you like to have Jesus say that to you? Get away from me, Satan. It's like, oh, man, I don't want to hear that. Get away from me, Satan, he said. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. And then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Wow. There's a shift in Jesus and his relationship with the disciples, a shift in, his, in the things he's teaching, a shift in the, in the things that he's saying in this passage. You see a shift in the book of Mark with the eighth chapter here. In this passage, we see three challenges. There's three life-defining decisions that Jesus challenges Peter and the disciples to make in their journey to becoming fully devoted disciples of Jesus. And their challenges that not only went out to the disciples, but that go out to each one of us as well. And the first of these is that in order to move, if we want to move beyond the sandlot, so to speak, to becoming a fully devoted disciple, then we've got to get on board with God's game plan rather than the world's game plan. Understand this. There are two game plans out there, and you and I are going to follow either one or the other. Either one or the other is going to, de to determine the decisions that we make and which drive our lives. See, this world system that we live in the midst of has a game plan. It's all about getting. It's all about self. It's all about getting the most money, putting yourself first, what, you know, going after personal comfort over commitment, valuing security over obedience. The world system's game plan is based on the things that the world values and the world says are important. But God also has a game plan. His game plan is about a life of giving and serving. It's about a life of putting others first. His game plan values sacrifice over obedience and over comfort. Two game plans 
and there are, they are often just diametrically opposed. The world's is all about me, and God's is all about God and others. Sometimes God's game plan will take us down a difficult path. Just before Jesus spoke these words to the disciples, he asked a simple question, who do you say that I am? And Peter spoke up, and he said, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Matthew's gospel tells us that Peter said, or, or excuse me, that Jesus said to Peter, in effect, yeah, you're right, you're absolutely right. And then he said, verse 18, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. I can imagine Peter, yeah, I got it right, and looking at the other disciples, what do you think of me now? What do you think of me now? You know, I, I, I can just imagine that. And then Jesus began to tell the disciples that, you know, passage we just read, that, that before long he was going to be put to death. He was going to be crucified. He was going to be put to death. And Peter, you know, still full of himself, still clueless at this point, begins to correct Jesus. No way, Lord, that's not going to happen. By the way, if you ever find yourself saying, no way, Lord, think about what you're saying, okay? No way, Lord, I, you know, doesn't, doesn't work, doesn't work. But he says that, that's not how it works. Jesus turns him back to God's claim, game plan and says, no, Peter, you need to begin to see this from God's point of view. He corrects Peter. See, sometimes what we need is just a change of perspective. When we look at things from a human perspective, we see roadblocks, we see obstacles, we see confusion, we see chaos, we see fear, we see all these things. But when, sh when we shift our thinking and begin to see how things, how God sees them, we see possibilities, we see potential, we see order, we see things falling into place. Because God's perspective is a perspective of faith, a perspective of confidence. And God's perspective is a true perspective. In everything we endeavor, in everything we attempt, we need to ask ourselves, whose model am I following in this? Am I going to follow the world's model, model of the good life, quote-unquote, or God's model of a great life? Now, in talking about the world's game plan and God's game plan, <coughs> so that's fine, but how do we know the difference? How can we learn the difference? And it's really not that complicated. We know the difference by getting to know the Word. And you know the Word by spending time in the Word. Every morning or every evening or every day, whenever it is, regularly. And by hearing the Word taught when the church gathers, by surrounding us with the Word, that's how we get to know it. And God's Word is a lamp unto our feet and it's a light unto our path it shows us the way it helps us discern between what's God's game plan and what is the world's game plan it brings clarity to our decisions so to go beyond the sandlot and really get in the game of discipleship we we, we get on board with God's game plan and that involves that we seek to live a life of commitment rather than comfort
Now, everybody likes to be comfortable. I like to be comfortable. You know, I got a, 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 a memory foam uh, pad on our, on our mattress because I like to be comfortable. I like to sleep without, you know, my shoulder hurting or, or my back going out or whatever. We like comfort. But that's not our primary aim in life. Jesus called out to the crowd, invited them to join him as his disciples. But he said, know this, there is a cost that's involved. He said to them in, in Mark 8, 34, if, you, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. NIV says, deny yourself, deny themselves, give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. He calls us to a life that puts commitment over comfort. See, the Christian life was never meant to be a one day a week or whenever you feel like it kind of deal. One of my favorite quotes is something that Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, and I really think he hit the nail on the head with this. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Now, he's not necessarily talking about a physical death, although that is not ruled out for any of us. Even today around the world, Christians are being persecuted or are being martyred because they refuse to deny their faith. From children on up through adults and the elderly, they refuse to, die th to do deny their faith. They refuse to deny Christ. So they're martyred. For most of us, it doesn't look like that. Self-denial may be when you really want to get even with another person. And instead, you extend grace. When you put off buying the latest, greatest gadget because you want to buy school uniforms for a school child in Mexico that wouldn't be able to attend unless they have the proper uniform. Or you want to buy a blanket to give to someone that's sleeping out in the cold in the street. Or maybe provide uh, 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 a family uh, uh, with fresh water by drilling a well in, in Africa, giving them clean water. Or instead of spending a lot of money at, on Christmas time, you know, buying everybody gifts, provide a family in a third world country with a goat or a chicken or a cow or through Heifer International or Compassion International, something like that. Can you imagine what would happen if, if, if you know, instead of, instead of spending all this money on Christmas, we did something to, to, um, to help a family, give them something to help sustain them, you know, with, you know, goat that they can use for milk and they can sell that and, and that, or, or, or chicken that gives them, you know, eggs uh, to, the, to, to, to be able to live on, make a life-changing difference in somebody's life. See, it's, 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 it's about what, you know, putting what we want aside and, and what we desire aside so someone else can have what they want. 
I love the commercial. I'm sure you've seen it where a retired man tells his wife, I found my dream car. You know the commercial I'm talking about? It says, I found my dream car and begins to save up for it. And then there's a, in the extended version of the commercial, there's a, a, a scene where he's, he's there in, in, in his car and he sees a dream car driving by. Somebody's got one. And he's, I can just imagine him thinking, ah, there goes my car someday. Someday I'm going to have that. He, he, he longs for it. And then his granddaughter comes to live with him unexpectedly. And he develops quite a, a bond. And I love the scene where, where his, his wife comes in, walks into the room, and the camera shows the girl sitting there, you know, with a green mask on her face. And then she looks over, and, and the, the, the wife looks over and sees her husband, the grandpa. You know, he pulls his paper down, and he's sitting there smiling with a green mask all over his face. You know, sharing that experience with his granddaughter. Well, before she graduates, he surprises her by, by buying her a car. And as she looks at the car with excitement, you know, suddenly he turns to, she, she, she turns to him and says, Wait, Grandpa, what about your dream car? And he just looks at her holding the keys and said, Well, this is my dream now. This is my dream now. As disciples... We lay down our dreams to pick up his. It's no longer about what's going to make us more comfortable or make our lives easier. Nothing wrong with being comfortable. Nothing wrong with, with having easy things take place in our life. But that's not what it's about. Now it's, it's the focus is. It's all about what's the father doing? What is the father saying? What does he want, not what do I want? Our desires change as we become a disciple. And the things that we had to have and that we just, you know, all these things change as we, as we become more and more in love with Jesus. The things that he loves, the things that matter to him are the things that begin to, to grip our heart as well. The things that mattered to us before don't seem to matter as much anymore. What matters us to, her now, to us now are the things that are most on Jesus' heart, not how comfortable we can become. And if following Jesus means that we suffer for him, so be it. So be it. Talked last week. going to... Follow Jesus, come what may. Don't misunderstand, don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about suffering for suffering's sake. It's not what God wants. I'm not talking about the practice of, you know, whipping yourself, you know, whipping your back until you bleed or crawling to church on your knees over gravel roads for 10 miles, you know, like they do in some countries, until your knees are all bloodied to show how holy you are and how much you're willing to suffer for Jesus. That's not what we're talking about. That's not scriptural. A life of commitment over comfort is simply about putting your wants and needs on the back burner and giving thought to what God is saying and giving thought to those around you. It's saying to the Lord, Lord, not your will. I mean, excuse me, not my will. Yeah, about got heretical there for a moment. Not my will, but your will be done. Life truly becomes all about him 
what brings God the most glory? That's a question every one of us faces at some point on the road to discipleship. Is my commitment to doing God's will greater than my desire to live a life of comfort? And again, nothing against comfort. I like to be comfortable. But when being comfort, when, 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 when being comfortable means to not follow what Jesus is saying, I have to choose as a disciple. What it, where is it? I have to go where he's leading me. Do what, what he's telling me. Brings us to the third challenge. And that is to build your life on what matters most in eternity rather than what seems to matter most in the moment. And uh, on your outline there, just circle the word seems. Because it is what seems to matter. See, what matters most in the moment, or, or most in eternity, is what matters most in the moment. But it doesn't always seem that way. Jesus said in Mark 8:36, "And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world? Your dream car, your dream job, your dream life. What, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? And let's let that sink in a moment. What do we benefit? If we gain everything that we want, everything else, but our soul suffers. We worry about so many things. About what kind of car do I have? How much money do I make? Are my clothes ni nice enough? Do they have the right label in them? When, I take, you know, wh wh when, when can I take a vacation trip like it seems like everybody else is doing? What do any of those things matter if my soul suffers? We work, we plan, we're careful about so many things in life, but are we careful to nourish our soul? When life gets busy and we get overwhelmed and, and you know, we just can't take it anymore, what do we do? Do we plan a vacation that's so packed with activities that we need another vacation just to recover from the first one? Or do we take some time, slow down, quiet ourselves, spend some time in the Word, feeding our spirit, nourishing our soul, spending some time in worship, in God's presence, The truth is, often when life begins to get so busy and so overwhelming, the first things that tend to go are the things that feed and nourish our soul. And I get it. I get it. You know, we get so busy and our lives get so packed, we don't, we don't have time to worship. We don't have the energy to worship sometimes. We don't have time to pray. We don't have time to read our Bible. We don't have, have the energy for those things. But that's when we need to deny our comfort and press through and do those things that nourish our soul. 
because that's what's going to give us the energy. That's what's going to give us the strength to continue on. We get so busy passionately pursuing everything else, we don't have time to passionately pursue God. We want to move beyond just playing around the sandlot of discipleship and go to the life of a fully devoted disciple. We need to ask ourselves some honest and searching questions. We need to ask ourselves whose game plan we're on, the world's or God's. We need to ask what matters most, our comfort or commitment. We need to ask, are we basing our lives on what seems urgent in the moment and what brings the most comfort in the, in the moment or on what matters the most in eternity? This week has been a whirlwind week for me. Um, Tuesday morning, I left uh, early, flew out of Indy with a group of, uh, I think, 14, 15 other uh, a group of pastors and, and some church leaders to go to a prayer service Tuesday night at Brooklyn Tabernacle Church in uh, New York City. What I experienced was absolutely amazing. The meeting started at 7 o'clock, so we had you know, time to get there, and we met with the pastor and, and that ahead of time, but meeting started at 7. People started arriving at 6 o'clock just to sit there and have some personal quiet time before the Lord. Many of them came from work, came straight there from work. At 6.30, the elders stood across the church. I don't know, maybe 20 of them or whatever, I don't know. But all across the front of the church, the elders stood, and people lined up down the center aisle to take their turn to go to an elder to receive personal prayer, have someone pray for them. And then at 7 o'clock, the service started with worship. It's amazing. 2,000 people were worshiping God and calling out to Him, loudly praising Him, praising Him with the, at the top of their lungs, worshiping at the top of their lungs with such passion. I mean, the place was electric. There was more passion in that place than there would be in a Super Bowl game that's tied in double overtime. Seriously. It was just like that. The atmosphere was that electric. And the thing is, it wasn't just one special night that had been advertised for, for you know, several weeks and, you know, come this one special night for this meeting. It wasn't that. This has been going on every Tuesday night for 40 years. Every Tuesday night for 40 years. And it's not something that they have to do. It's something that they get to do. It's something that they look forward to doing. I mean, New York City. All these things that people could be doing. All these awesome places to eat. Just down the road or just around the block from the place. I mean, we're talking cheesecake. The wedges that were, that were like this. They were like, I mean, the, the, yeah. That thick. I wished I could have tried one, but I was too full after trying to eat my Reuben, which had, had this much corned beef on it. Oh my goodness, it was amazing. All these things people could be doing. But what do they do? They're gathering with their church, passionately pursuing God every week, every Tuesday night. 
That's the kind of disciple I want to be. I don't want to stand in the sandlot. I don't want to stay there. I want to pursue Jesus with everything that's in me. And yes, I get tired. And yes, I get discouraged. And yes, I have times when I feel like I don't have the energy for this. I talk a lot that I've been able to establish my quiet time in the morning consistently, and I, I look forward to it. I look, I, 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 I've gotten to the place where, where it's the highlight of my day. I so look forward to it. I've finally developed a consistency after years of, of wrestling with it and getting into the Word and prayer and praying. And but what I don't always share is when that alarm hits first thing in the morning, I still don't feel like getting up. I still don't feel like. I, I want to get to the point where I just jump out. I'm, I am at the point where I, I, I get out of bed quickly before I can you know, give it a second thought because I know what lies ahead. I want to be a disciple who pursues Jesus with such passion that nothing will get in the way. I don't want to live an uncomfortable life, but if it means if it, but I'm but I'm going to choose commitment over comfort. That's the that that that's the 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 kind of life that I want to live. I want to pursue Jesus with everything in me. And the great thing is, that invitation to follow Him like that is for every single one of us. It's not for a select few. It's not just for pastors and church leaders. It's, it's for every single one of us. We're all invited to go deeper. Jesus invites us into a life of continual pursuit, of passionate pursuit of him. Let's have the worship team come up, and while they're coming up, let's stand. While they're coming, if you want this kind of life, if you want a life of going after Jesus with all you are and with all that you have, then let's let him know it. Let's let him know it. I want us to lift up our voices and just worship him. Lift up our voices and praise him. Lift up our voices and tell him that we love him. Don't worry about what your neighbor is doing. Be more concerned about what Jesus, the fact that he's here and he wants our love. Let's do it right now. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would fill this room with passion for Jesus. Lord, we worship you. We glorify you. Just don't be afraid to just say it out loud. Don't be afraid to just lift up your voice. Father, we worship and we praise you. And we say we love your son, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. 
We invite your Holy Spirit to come and to fill this place. There is no one like you. You are an awesome, awesome God. You are a magnificent God. Your majesty is beyond compare. There is no one like you. We love you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. We ask you to fill this place with your presence. Fill this place with your praise. We ask you to, <coughs> to come, Lord. And to, 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 to just reveal your glory in this place. Open our eyes, Lord, that we could see you. Open our eyes that we could see you. Lord, put a passion in our hearts that nothing else will matter to us other than what you are saying and what you are doing and what you, the, where, where you are leading. Give us the courage and give us the faith and give us the boldness to always go where you are, fo- where, where you are leading us. To always follow where you go, Lord. Holy Spirit, come. Fill this place. Fill our hearts. We love you, Lord. Create in us a passion for you that that nothing can quench, that nothing can, (coughs) can put behind us. Nothing can put out. We love you. We praise you. You are holy. You are righteous. You are good all of the time, not just some of the time, all of the time. No matter what is going on in our lives, we know that you are dependable and that you are faithful and that you will be with us. When life gets difficult, when life gets discouraging, when life gets hard, we have the promise of your presence with us. We have the promise of your help to get us through. Lord, sometimes you deliver us out of situations and we thank you for that. But we also thank you for the times that you deliver us through because those are the times that we really draw close. Those are the times that we really learn. Those are the times that we really, that, that, that we, we, we experience your goodness and your faithfulness at a greater degree, at a greater level. <coughs> Lord, every one of us here has things going on in our lives. Every one of us here has, has, has things that we, heaviness that we carried in here with us this morning of one degree or another, one thing or another. Let those things roll off, Lord. Let those things roll off our shoulders, roll off our lives. And when we leave here today, let us leave with hope. Let us leave with confidence. Let us leave with faith. We love you, Lord. And we praise you, Lord. We lift up your name. Keep our eyes focused on you. Keep our eyes focused on you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Like us. Now I want to invite you to hold out your hands and receive a blessing. One of my favorite scriptures. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and all peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God bless you. Have a great week.